0: Hello, I'm Alan Higgins, and you are listening to the Design Talk podcast. The following recording is a cross-pod release with The Blind Spot, a podcast created
1: by Tina Lowe, Accessibility Officer at University College Dublin, Ireland. This episode was recorded on the 13th of December 2021. Welcome to The Blind Spot. I'm your host, Tina Lowe. This podcast looks to show everyone about making Ireland accessible for all. We are absolutely delighted to welcome Sean Doran and Kyron O'Mahony from the National Council for the Blind. Thank you very much, Sean and Kyron, for uh, joining us. Today, we're going to talk about access to technology, which is an amazingly massive area of huge changes, lots of innovations. And we have two very, very expert people, both Sean and Kyron. Um, in this area and um, we're going to start today by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself so if we could start with you Sean.
0: Yeah so I'm Sean I, I work in um, NCBI as a program coordinator and we do lots of stuff with accessibility. I have mm-hmm. passed in NCBI being an IT trainer and working in other roles so for the last seven years or so I've been sort of entrenched in thinking about accessibility and how people with visual impairments can access technology and it's been a very very interesting seven years.
1: And before that Sean, what what was your background always in software technology or did you study?
0: Yeah, I studied software I studied software development in college and I worked in a number of different fields from, from everything like from, from from sales to technology to I used to work in a in a place where we used to before college where we manually built old tape drives. So so we were always putting together and taking apart technology and I always had an interest in the computers and stuff at home. I used to break technology before my folks got home and I had to fix it before they got back. So that's that's where my sort of interest in technology So you were always interested in from. the
1: actual, you know, the nuts and bolts as well as the software, yeah?
0: Absolutely, I was t- always thinking, or thinking around And Sean,
1: I, how, how did you get involved with the National Council for the Blind? Like, what, did you have a a, a particular interest in blindness, visual impairment or did you have a member of your family or what drew you to that?
0: So it, was actually, it was actually sort of a, a sideways move because I was working in um, deaf here for a short period of time and um, we shared an office with NCBI and I was asked if I wanted to maybe volunteer and do some training with NCBI uh, like tr- as in me training some of the service users because the have seen the work I was doing in uh, deaf here at the time so I came over as a volunteer first, and then I sort of got different roles through NCBI after that, and I don't think they can get rid of me just yet, Kyron. <laughs> no, no, you're not going Very anywhere.
1: Good. And <laughs> uh, Kyron, can you introduce yourself and tell us about your background?
2: Yeah, so so my name is uh, Kyron Amahani. I'm the, the Chief Technology Officer with the National Accounts for the Blind. Um, so what what that means is I i have kind of two responsibilities in, in, in the NCBI. I look after all, all of the technology aspects of our services. So whether it be um, technology training or technology support to people with sight loss, and they also run then the technology for NCBI group, which is made up of about five, five companies across the overall group. So um, yeah, um, I think, it, you know, I'm, I'm with the NCBI now about two little over two years. Um, and I was only saying to Sean the other day, I can't believe how quick it has been since I joined NCBI. It's been a, it's been an absolute whirlwind, and and NCBI have been really ambitious around um, you know going through an overall kind of digital transformation on technology because you know um, they've really recognised the importance that technology plays in the lives of pe- the lives of people with um, people with sight loss. And I, I as I was just saying before we started, I've I, I suffer from nystagmus my myself, so I have maybe about um, 18% vision, is dropping a little bit at the moment, but you know, um, I know you were saying to Sean, how, how did he come to NCBI, but m- this is my first time ever working in the charity sector. I'm, I'm a computer science graduate and I've worked in in loads of different companies like Ryanair and Dunstores stores and Allied Irish Banks and, and other places. And, you know, I, I never, you know, I, I've been very, excuse me, I've been very lucky that I've been always using technology to kind of overcome sight loss. And when I joined N C B I that was kind of the biggest thing for me is to is to make sure that, you know, um that mantra within N C B I is at the forefront of everything, you know, that, that technology is such a key enabler. So I've been working with Sean and the overall kind of N C B I labs team, which is kind of our, our technology team, um, to really kind of embed the importance of technology, you know, and how we can we can do like events like this and really kind of advocate for how important technology is as as a key enabler for for and
1: people with Karen, that's really interesting because I was going to ask you, and you will you'll know this because if you've been growing up with technology, yeah. For um, can you tell us because I I, it's a fascinating journey. Like I know myself when I lost my sight in my light, late late twenties, um, the screen reader software was called Cicero, and it was very um synthetic, very very synthetic kind of Star Treky sound, and I know that there's been huge advancements, but could you tell me to give, give the readers a, like a historical kind of uh, walk through the, how technology started, how it developed, because there's so many changes in it for visually impaired and blind users, especially.
2: Well, do you know what's, what's really interesting is I, I just to give you some background, I really stumbled into tech technology. I actually wanted to do physio and UCD, but I didn't get the points. And, uh, I, uh, I I had technology as kind of a backup, you know, and I ended up on my my very first day in in, in lectures in college. I had I didn't even know how to turn a computer on, and you know I I, I don't know if people were people remember because they might be uh, I I don't know if everyone's as old as I am, but computers used to be just all big white boxes, and I literally had to touch feel the front of the case to try and That's find right, the power G- button they were giants. <laughs> to yeah, turn it on.
1: Yeah, I remember.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so I I. I knew I knew nothing at that point, you know. And then, you know, and I remember, you know, trying to 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 we were trying to price like large screens and things back in. I think it was like it was before the the before two thousands. Anyway, when I when I started college, oh my god, I'm so old. But like the, um, you know, even to get like a, a 19 inch monitor back then, uh, you know was was two like two or three thousand pounds like it was crazy expensive you know for um uh to do it so like I remember we were all saving for ages just to get just to get me a monitor for college you know and it's you know when you think about the evolution of technology and now you know i, I know you referenced that the, the screen readers now you have like neural engines that are that are used for for voice dictation now in siri and things like that but what what I love actually about at the moment with with technology is that I kind of always use use this story lately. So when my my kind of journey with technology as someone with sight loss really started off where I need the biggest possible screen I can get. Like you know I need if I could get like a hundred inch screen for my laptop that'd be what I get. But obviously you can't because they're just couldn't afford something like that. But recently I've noticed because the likes of Windows and and, and Mac and the operating operating systems they have they have so much you know, assistive technology built into them, I don't really need to do that anymore. You know, and, and Sean, Sean said it, I'm not, I'm not joking. I use it, I use, personally, I use a 13-inch laptop now. I don't, um, because I can use Zoom so easily on a Mac, you know, I don't need to, to go out and buy it. the huge screen that we paid, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, probably yeah. more than that Mac actually costs.
1: And, and can you tell me, Carl, <laughs> yeah. where did you do your, so you mm. didn't do physio, so you decided to, you did computer yeah. science. Wow. Science, Even though yeah. you didn't uh, have a background uh, in it, or that's amazing choice. No, 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 no
2: one, no one in my family had, uh, had any computers. I literally picked it because at the time you'd be guaranteed a job right, if you, if you could yeah. do computers. That hasn't and really you, changed Did no you port, study yeah, but, in uh,
1: Where did you do your degree in computer science?
2: Uh, it was in, it was in oh, Griffith College in Dublin. Good. Yeah. That's very so, interesting. Uh, yeah. I loved it actually. Yeah, I I love that actually. And you know, do you know what I think is is really is really important just from the, from the perspective of accessibility is that I'd never come to technology until my my degree. You know what I mean? So I I never knew that it was something that could be such an enabler. You know, because I was kind of forced to use technology because you have to if you're doing a computer science degree. You know, um, but I remember in 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 secondary school um, I was I was given a, a laptop. You know. And it was like two weeks before my leaving cert, and they were like, "This laptop will help you as someone with sight loss." <laughs> and I, I remember saying to the principal, "And you know what the f am I supposed to do with this? Like, you know, because you're under so much pressure because you're up to coming up to your leaving cert." And they, he ended up giving me, I think, uh, a bit of a a, a given out of for using bad language. But like at the time, like what 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 good would a laptop do to me? What what good would that be?
1: And and <laughs> how did, how did and then things that like go. How full. Did you do your say if you had sight loss in? in did you go to a mainstream secondary school?
2: No, I didn't. I was, uh, I was in, I think it's changed a little bit now, but I went to Ross Mini, um just before St. Joseph and they, they used, I'm not sure if they still do it because um, I haven't really kept in touch, but uh, so there was about uh, two to three people per class with sight with loss. So um, there was a couple of people like myself with low vision, and then maybe one or two that had, had no and, vision. And how yet, did so, you access your um, material then? With great difficulty. Uh, is, is, is the, is the truth of it. Yeah. I, I used to, uh, there was very limit. It was very difficult to procure like, um, large print books because, you know, the curriculum would be a, more always ahead of what, where you needed to, what you needed to study, you know? And it was the same for people with sight loss. Cause back then it was, it was all Braille, you know, paper Braille, um, if for no vision and, and literally the, the two teachers that used to be there to support, uh, Children with sight loss would would be typing, you know, brailing the books the day or two before the actual class, trying to keep up. You know what I mean? And um, no, I know that's that's changed now. That's just this is back in the 90s, but uh, you know. And I remember like the what I what personally the biggest problem I had is because I was trying to do kind of honor subjects and stuff like that. I, I'd get really severe eye strain from reading, trying to read like you know normal size books and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Even even some of the large print that I get. So. And trying to use magnifiers, you know, so, handheld magnifiers. So, so then, like when that, you
1: were in secondary, you you did you use tape recorders? Was it? Did you have any technology? Like, what, had we come no, into tech? Ta- really, we hadn't we? We were on the tape recorders and no, so really it was, books. It
2: wasn't really out, to be honest. It, it, it was more um, nothing with a plug. It was just like big big like big magnifiers that i've no 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 teenager wants to be carrying around that (laughs) or telescope so that's so that's some
1: achievement then to go from say trying to access your material and then choosing computer science Hmm. yeah
2: Yeah. and i I, do you know what i I think it's it's it it's come so much full circle now i i can't uh um, and this is really why I, why I took the job in NCBI to really to talk about this, right? So if you think about it back then, even trying to get a large print book was challenging. You know, trying to get, you know, digital magnifiers didn't exist. I, I don't think speech software was even back in the 90s. Sean might correct me on that one, I'm not sure. It would have been um, a very,
0: very, very small case in the early 90s, yeah.
2: But now the number one, and I think this is what, what I what I love telling people is that the number one accessibility tool that I have and I carry it with me all day, every day. And Sean will test this. I am glued to it. Is my iPhone. I use my iPhone for everything. I I use it as a digital magnifier because I can zoom in and out on text. I literally read my my little girl. I have a three-year-old little girl. I read her her bedtime stories using the the magnifier app on the on the on the phone with the torch turned on, so I can get it. You know, if you think children's books, they naturally have large font, but you know, I want to be able to engage with her, so I can I can sit back a little bit more and use the iPhone. I I stopped the buses during the day by using the the magnifier on on the phone and you know I heard a great story recently from from one of our service users and he was telling me that it was at last Christmas he was at a, a family function and someone said oh I can't do this with my iPhone so he took the iPhone off them he said hey Siri turn on voiceover and um, and fixed the issue using voice on voiceover on on his iPhone then he said hey Siri turn off voice over and gave them their phone back. I thought it isn't that such an incredible journey on technology to say that we can get there. Now everything is not perfect yet, don't get me wrong. And I know there's still there's still a lot of challenges out there, but but things you know, technology is in my view and, and I say this on every report I give into the NC board. Technology is the single biggest enabler, you know? It's not perfect, but it, it will get you some of the way. Yeah, absolutely. You
1: know? And Sean talk to us about the services that the National Council for the Blind offer to the public?
0: Like in terms of technology, what we would offer is uh, technology assessments initially, where we would meet a person, Tina, sort of gauge their their, their needs in terms of technology and we would kind of assess what technology we can use to aid those needs and then we can kind of begin training. So we, we do lots of training sessions and a person might know be something as simple as I want to learn how to use an iPhone to make phone calls to contact family members mm-hmm. and you know if that person's got low vision we can show them you know how to enlarge text like Karen's talking about how to use Zoom and if a person has no vision we can show them how to use like a a screen reader on their on their on their mobile phone whether that's talk back on Android or voice over on iOS and then for people who want to learn emails and things that we, cho- we teach them, like Microsoft products, maybe if they're using a laptop. um, But like all this can be done on your mobile device also. So in terms of technology, we would offer lots of training assessments and then we provide a whole host of other things also.
1: And do you provide, um, does the National Council for the Blind provide support to employers or does it train, say, employers in learning what the technology is for potential employees yeah, we, we,
0: we would all, we, we would always advise people like employers have often rang us in the past and said i'm gonna have a person working with me with this condition uh what equipment would i need what's best to do in terms of you know if it's someone with low vision like do we need big screens do we need certain lighting and um, if it's someone with no vision do we need certain types of software like screen readers and is our software if they have like bespoke software like you know their own databases or cms's um, will that work with screeners etc so we can off we can consult them on that and advise them on that also in terms of work placement adaptation grants if there's equipment that someone can, can avail of we can advise employers and all that information
1: very good and one of the things that happens quite a lot is still i like i work in a large organization and um sometimes i find it quite frustrating that um people still don't know what um screen reading software is and like is there karen do you see a way kind of to nationally show people employers especially educational institutes um, how this works and then to the actual nitty-gritty of it which is um what i'm going to ask sean to describe because he's really good at describing this is how to make documentation accessible so that if somebody uses a screen reader, that they can access the material. So do you, does an NCBI have a master plan or a kind of a, a, a national awareness which it continues to engage with um, large organisations to show them how to create accessible um, information and then to show them what screen readers are and what they do?
2: I think just just before you jump in Sean on the document piece I think what's 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 really um what's really important is that so NCBI were were huge advocates for the new EU legislation that's been uh, brought into Ireland, which is um which is essentially said that all uh, public bodies and government bodies must have an accessible website and um mobile application um and that if you if anyone out there wants to wants to google the wcag 2.1 standard that does also incorporate document accessibility as well so we've been working really hard to in the ncbi to support companies and organizations around understanding what those guidelines are and teaching them and and training them to um you know to to ensure that they meet those criteria because they now have to because it's law but what we're finding more and more is that Uh, companies that are not covered under legislation are doing it because, you know, it's part of their diversity inclusion agenda, you know, so NCBI has been working with them also to say, this is something that not only should you do, because there's a lot there to do, but it is actually the right thing to do. And I think Sean has kind of been on the ground working with a lot of these companies and actually being a a key kind of um, trainer, so to speak, in terms of transferring that knowledge, but I think it's great that one that there's a standard now, you know, and that standard has been around for a while, I'm not, not saying that, but it's getting a lot more, you know, uh if there's any sort of legislation that's behind a standard that you need to meet, it makes it a lot easier for us to um to bang people on door. Yeah, yeah. So for example, any of the documentation I'm not sure what, what UCD's funding is so, <laughs> but any documents that are up on your uh, on your website would, would need to yeah, be accessible. Yeah. Your website should well, be accessible. We, Similarly, we to have it others, at the moment. you know.
1: We've had a program in place since probably started off two years ago. University for all, and it's all about trying to um, bring everybody on board to create information and create inclusion, and you know best practice in trying to in- ensure that people can be included in every way in the workplace. So that that is an initiative. But as well as that, uh, uh, you know, saying that it's it's. Legislatively, you have to do it. It also makes um, very good business sense because I was just—I've been reading a lot up on this—and sixty percent of the population will, at some stage, have to use some sort of assistive technology. In Ireland, we have an aging population, which means that we w- we also have to use lots of different types of assistive technology. So, and then for a business to ha- provide a service that will include everybody, they make far more money and it's very economically acceptable and it's a good plan to try and create accessible information as well so on that I I want to ask Sean that I love asking Sean this really hard question because he knows how to explain to people because I'm, gl- I'm glad you asking Sean this is the this is what we try to this is a like we do have people in UCD actually who carry out workshops all the time on this topic and it's really helpful and it, it it's amazing but to create an accessible document, so talk us through
0: that, John. Okay, so like there's, there's an, like like I assume the WCAG two point one web standards, that also applies to documents and digital content like 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 PDFs or Word documents. So you're almost, you're you're doing like a review of the document in terms of like it's almost like a mini review of a website, it's like so like you you check things like is the text clear print on it. Is it, is it, is it, if you use cursive text you know, it can be quite hard to read especially with people with dyslexia and if you think of people with low vision or maybe color contrast issues we have to see are the colors in the document used correctly are we going to put something like you know pale uh pink text over pale blue background you know that could be very very difficult to read it might look nice in terms of a style point of view but it's going to be very very difficult for people to read and then you get into sort of the, the screen reader sort of end of it also if you imagine things like you know a, a pdf is going to have lots of images are all those images labeled correctly do they have all text describing what that image is conveying and um, if we're using an image we're using it for a reason so we're trying to convey some information through that image and we don't want to deprive someone who can't see that image of that same contextual information like sometimes with documents there might be a background image like it might be just a like a triangle or a line or something there that's purely decorative and we can mark it as purely decorative so the screen reader will ignore it but if it's giving some context we have to have to label it and it's it's labeling these things correctly as a screen reader user yourself teen i'm sure you come to an image and there's far too little old text for it to actually mean anything to you or you know someone could have won a a, a poetry prize in writing them. Um, the longest subscription ever, so it's that balance, and also the document. then know is if there's a table in it, is the table going to be labelled correctly? And you know, especially things like a reading order, like someone who's looking at a document visually, it's going to start from you're going to start from top to bottom and go left and right, or if someone who's designing a document in terms of UX has some sort of flow, No, that that flow is always sort of matched by the eye. You, you would go through a document go, I know what, what I'm supposed to read next. But with a screen reader, unless that order has been implemented correctly, you can open up a digital document and start at the bottom, and then you, you could be up in the middle and back up at the top. So that reading order all has to be checked. And it's quite simple to do, um, quite simple to fix if you have the right software, and quite simple to check. And even with a screen like you, you can open up a screen reader and go through a document and go, well, actually, that's completely incorrect. I must go fix that. And like this, this is, has been a hot topic because myself and Kyron were also speaking with the national disability um, authority recently. We we did a presentation on this, and like we get we must get phone call every day about it. And there's public and private organisations coming to us saying, "How do we make as well as our well websites, their documents accessible?"
2: It seems to be. It's actually interesting that people are finding that you know, even though the the like as I was saying, the legislation covers. Documents and website. Most people are so concerned about the websites, or sorry, about excuse me, about the documents, John. We get far more, far more people contact us to say, you know, we have these documents because, and I think they're both equally important. You know, it's but it's it's you know, like if you've got a website that twenty percent of your customers, or even like you were saying, you know, like up to, to sixty percent of people can't use, that's not commercially viable. No, nobody would, would have a commercial entity to do that. But um, I'm always surprised that it, it seems to be people are so. Um, so concerned with the document side of things, and I would actually, Sean, consider it simpler to make a document accessible
0: than a large website. I don't know. Oh, I do absolutely! Agree. It, it, absolutely, yeah. totally agree with you there. I think a lot of this is people assumed their website's accessible. Yeah,
1: yeah.
0: And, they're and, more and talk to us about about creating accessible.
1: accessible websites because that's a huge thing. I know it's a minefield. So, <laughs> much like we're saying. So.
0: Yeah, much like we are saying about the. The documents there, a lot a lot of that stuff still stands. Is your colour contrast correct? Are you using the right fonts? Can you can you zoom to a certain amount without overlapping of text? And you know, is your images labeled correctly? But what you can't check for with software, you have to do manually, And Tina, is actually like do an end to end on the on, on the website, like use a screen reader, for example, and go through it. Uh, or just go through it, you know, without without that and find other issues. But with a screen reader, You know, you could be tabbing from element to element or down hour, sorry, tabbing from interactive element to interactive element or down houring from element to element. And if that's not coming to you in a logical order, you could quite easily get lost on a website or I'm sure you've got trapped in a menu somewhere and you couldn't escape from it and then you had to reload the entire site. And then that happens two or three times on the page. You probably just shut down the site. But those sites are probably deemed accessible somewhere else. I think
2: that you know what's interesting about website design and is is and we've talked about this a lot when we've met companies. So when I worked in, in other companies um without naming names but big ones um in retail and, and, and airline everyone wants everyone has an ambition to make their website accessible. No no one doesn't want to do it, you know? But I think what happens in you know, as websites are, are being developed is you know, let's say you've got six months to rebuild you know, uh, a new website or whatever it is, and you get towards the end and you're running out of time and you're running out of money, and you're thinking, oh, God, we need to make this website accessible. Oh, well, let's do that. We'll get it out the door, release the first version, and then fix the accessibility yeah. next. Yeah. You know, what I, mean? I think that's ha- what happens in a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, exactly. And but yeah. What we've been Sorry. what we've been really advocating for is to say, you know, accessibility should be design, part of your overall design process. You know what I mean? So when you're talking to your designers, and I think people are, are sometimes a little bit afraid to talk about accessibility, you know, and inclusion, um, because I think, you know, brand teams, you know, want to, and I've dealt with them, and, you know, they, they have a, a very specific UX that they want their people to go, and they're, and they're, they're scared that if you make that accessible or inclusive, it's going to affect the brand, and that's actually not the case, you know? I think... What they assume is that an accessible website is just like literally a white background with really big text <laughs> yeah. and no yeah. color, and that's that's not yeah. the case. Yeah. You know what I mean? Know, it's, yeah. It's the, just it's, not the it's case, trying you know? to so, get past that um, yeah.
1: the idea, that yeah, that it's yeah. that it's not going yeah. going to be visually as attractive as you think it could be, isn't it? It's a lot. Of, it, it's you know, it's about the wanting the the kind of glamour and glitz, isn't it? As well as the accessibility. I I think I think when it's not, yeah, when things are not done, say with the the knowledge and say training and overall say trying to get that uh, idea that it is actually something that's built in from the very beginning it's not an add-on and that it's something that makes so much sense and if you make it accessible it works for everybody that's the part you have to try and drive like, home that it's actually including
0: if, if you if you use the built environment yeah. there yeah. as a as an yeah. analogy like like karen is saying there and you know, like people think you have to strip things back and make it plain and sterilize a website but like if you can get UX designers up to speed on accessibility and cons- consult with them from an early stage it's like you know, if, you, if you use the built environment as an example You know, if you build a lovely building and it's like artistically beautiful and then you tell the designer well, they actually have to put a ramp here and you have to change this need you have to do that and they feel it's destroying their design but if you educate that person from the start they would work those things into the design and they would be much happier with yeah. the outcome.
1: And a, lo- a lot of it is that talking, trying to say, pe- get people on board from the very beginning to see that it's not just about putting something in afterwards. It's from the very beginning and it is all to do with color contrast, visuals that are described, clear text, you know, not kind of flashing lights and blinking things and whatever for some people. But that, you know, it, it's a very interesting area because it, it's it's, as well as um, screen reading and uh, accessible documentation and accessible websites. Talk to us about all the other developments that the National Council for the Blind are have been doing in the last, we'll say, twenty odd years, twenty years. I let you go ahead first to tell us about all the different developments. But I'm thinking in say, my say, my late twenties, I, I I became blind, so i had to, that's when everything changed and started, and like that Kyron, you when I went to u c d in nineteen ninety seven it was tape recorders, <laughs> boxes and boxes and boxes, but it was a very different way, but I'll just you go ahead and and tell us about all the interesting developments in the n c b i
2: well i think I think the first thing to you know. Within the NCBI, you know, like like big or any big organization, it takes it you know we take a while to change. But you know, we've always had a technology function within uh, the NCBI. You know, we've always been offering support and services to people around the technology side of things. I think what's happened though, uh, you know, more and more is the, is is the even within our own company is the recognition of how important technology is. You know and how much impact that it can create so if you think about the journey for me um and what I've what I've seen in the ncbi you know a long time ago and even even up until till recently if you needed a piece of assistive technology it was a single purpose device you know it was a huge cctv which is effectively like a big big desk yeah desktop magnifier when I when I joined, NC, I I literally was blown over about how expensive some of these devices are, you know, and it's it it it's mind blowing. Like like Jaws um software costs almost a thousand euro for voiceover, and that's still the case, you know. Whereas you get it for free if you buy a Mac, you know. So I think there's just be there's this be there's this it's been a huge transition, I think, away from. It's not there yet, but it's happening more and more. So the need for people to spend massive amounts of money on a very, very hyper-specialist piece of technology. Now, I think there's always going to be use cases where people may need that, and I'm not taking away from that. But I think more and more, you know, you can pick up a laptop that has everything you need almost built in, you know, or you can pick up a phone that has everything else built in. And then there's there's other pieces that are still, like, I think mobility to me, and, and, and especially mobility and orientation, is... Is the biggest area that I think technology can still make a difference. And I don't think it's quite there yet personally, but I think, you know, day-to-day computing, you don't need, like I said, at the start of the, the, the podcast, you don't need a, a very huge expensive screen anymore, you know, because there's a lot of that tech is built in. So I think the journey that <clears throat> the journey that NCBI as an organization has come on is is one is is, you know, really trying to get behind technology and say, you know we're we're putting this at the forefront of of what our service is but i think broader than that it it's so so important to see like the you know technology is no longer hyper specialist you know and i think that's more and more um more and more important in education you know uh, and i mean right from early years education through to the third level there's you know access to material is available digitally now it wasn't before you know, so NCBI have we've launched. And I'm not sure if if, if you use it, but like uh, Bookshare. which is a, a a free service for 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 people with with all all types of site loss, where you can you can get access to both, you know educational literature and you know um, fiction and and personal type stuff as well. You know, and and that's all available whether it's in you know um, a PDF or EPUB, and you can pick the format that suits your level of disability, you know, and then right up to the fact where, like I said, where, you know, like we, we would still, we still have those CCTVs because some people still, still like to use them and that's fine. But I think more and more, um, it you don't need to be the person in the room, like a kid going to school doesn't always need to be the person using something that's really going to draw a lot of attention to them as well. You know, like I, I remember when, when I, when I was a teenager, I, I almost refused to use the monocular, which is like a, it's like a small telescope, um, and you would put it up to your ITC buses and things like that or see the board. And I hated using it because, you know, it really made you stand out amongst your peers. Whereas now you can you can use an iPhone or a digital device or you can just have a camera that sits on, on the table, you know, a digital camera that sits on the table. So it's not it's not a, as obvious. And I think that's been the big transition for, for NCBI is we're getting to a point where, you know we offer training and support as opposed to providing some super high specialist piece of technology so i think we've got to, we've got a core mission in ncbi but we'll never stop giving individual technology support to service users you know so one-to-one based training sean and his team you know supporting you know people about how to use technology for people with sight loss and their family and friends and how to support people like so if you've got an issue that's unique to your site loss around technology, your you and your family and friends can ring and ask us for for support. And all all of that is obviously free. And then the second side of our, our kind of core strategy is it's like the digital side of advocacy for technology, where we reach out to, you know, uh, companies, educational institutions, government departments and say, Guys, you need to you need to make your website accessible. You need to make your application accessible. And you need to make your document or whatever accessible. And we also have a, a team of people that works on the on the physical access side of things as well. So it's 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 kind of twofold. So you've got the individual, and then you've got the broader piece as well. And that's I think we're getting clearer and clearer that that mission needs to be, you know. Uh, yeah. loud and clear, so to speak. I've and got Sha- to lost my train of yeah. thought. With it, and Sean, what, what's think, the, you that, mentioned yeah.
1: the labs, what's the smart labs, NCBI, what, is that a project or what is that? Smart Hub, oh, sorry. NCBI yeah.
0: Smart Hub. So that that's another initiative that, you know, Chiron's leading we're all working on, which is um, you know, like you're saying a, a, lot, a lot of the sort of people who are new to site loss maybe in their 60s or 70s due to like, you know, age-related um, conditions such as macro degeneration. And obviously we can teach people how to use screen readers and how to use assistive technology, but we felt voice was such an, an instant sort of technology that any, everyone can use, like voice in terms of uh, Alexa devices and Google Assistants. So we wanted to build an Alexa skill and a Google, or a Google Action, which is equivalent, which will tell everyone about NCBI services you can interact with it and learn all about maybe different sight loss conditions or different you know, services that NCBI offer, everything from technology training to children's services to adult services to our library, et cetera. And you can maybe request callbacks during that. So if you're listening to something about technology training, you can say, oh, please call me back. And you know that's gonna link in with us and we'll, we'll be able to maybe lift up the phone and give you a call back at a certain stage on that. But the Smart Hub would also you know, give you access to like your library information, like your you know, we post out a lot of magazines to people on USB keys. You get instant access to that, and you know that, that's just hmm. like a kind of a taste. And, and how do you know, access that? You know,
1: if you're brand new to the area, to the world so, of losing your sight, or how do you how do you access that?
0: So much like much like any uh, Amazon skill, if we, if we talk about Amazon for a second, you know you'd search the skill store, you'd find what you need, and, and you'd install it. Now, obviously, ours is in development and it's not currently up there yet. We are currently testing it with a certain amount of people, and we can kind of email that link out to them. But uh, if you have a, an Alexa device in your house, like uh, that's why I was like in terms of path of least resistance. You know, you can pick up an Alexa device for thirty to forty euro most times, even on sales, that can be cheaper. A lot of people have them in their houses already, and if you can download and install that skill, you have access to everything we can offer. And Sean, Hub.
1: you know the way we're talking, like age loss or sight loss, is, affects lots of different people, and our generation, our our population in Ireland is aging, and we have a, we'll have a higher percentage of an aging population. Like, do you do you say, how do you teach? say people who have no say digital literacy for whatever reason and it could be an age like I'm thinking of say people in say my generation where I would have started in the early nineteen eighties I used Word Star it was called or Word and it was the first say word processing and it actually used all the alt keys. So it kind of came in handy years later, (laughs) unintentionally when I went blind. But the whole thing about it was Nobody believes you. It's like what Karen just said. Like I remember those giant, absolutely enormous uh, CPUs and huge computers. Um, and uh, when I I actually worked in a computer company in the early eighties, and it's unbelievable. And this is true. Our main computer programmer, or whatever his title was, he dropped the hard drive. Okay, after about six months of right, he dropped it, okay so we lost everything every single document that I had typed, every report whatever, right, everything, every single thing, and that was in like the, say, early 80s, and people, like, now you'd be like, oh my god, like, but it was literally just a big giant box and he just dropped it, leaving the office he dropped it, and it bang, gone everything gone, nothing backed up but that was the days, it was hilarious, like, they, they, and they used to We had loads of programmers who would be writing software, and all they ever did, I used to think the only thing they were ever doing was just printing out sheets for the crack. It was, you know, the computer (laughs) paper. Just endless, endless pieces of paper, like with all these dots and digits on them. But, like, that was the days of early... Now, that's not even going back to the, say, late 60s when they had the room, I think, fit. You needed a giant room to fit the actual hard drive or whatever but but that's that's the way it started but so now i think what is really interesting is because so many people need to use technology for everything like online banking everything how do you teach all like so many people in in this country all the different ages li- digital literacy like is there a you know that's that's a huge thing
0: it all comes down to it. It all comes down to they'll have their initial sort of meeting with a community resource worker who might identify some of their needs and then they're passed over to an IT trainer within NCBI for that initial IT assessment. So like, like I was saying earlier, we would discuss with the person their sort of current skill level, their goals, what they need to do, and we sort of ascertain how we'll go about that. So some people, you know, they might have never even used a phone or a keyboard before. We might have to kind of upskill them on this is the layout of a keyboard before we even introduce them to, um, you know, assistive software like JAWS on a, on a computer. We have to find that sort of common level for everyone. And whether that's individual training or group training, because often we find now we might have maybe five or six people who all maybe want to learn how to use a keyboard before we start maybe screen reader training and we will get them in, whether it's on remote sessions or in-house sessions, and we'll we'll train them up step by step. First thing is, we need to know a way around the keyboard. Then we need to know a way around uh, the Windows environment. Then we need to know a way around the apps within Windows, browsers. And we it's step by step until you get to the person where they need to be. Some people take the first few steps and run with it themselves and completely take to it. Other people need more and more help until they get more and more comfortable. But it is a blend of individual training and group training on certain sort of modules that's going to get people to a certain level. And like I said, there's always that kind of thing. We need to work out someone's goal. Like I said, whether it's purely, I just, I already have a smartphone, I know how to use my screen reader to a certain degree, I need help with online banking, or I have a laptop and PC and I just need to know how to send emails. You know, we keep in touch, we have to do sort of you know assessments from time to time. and. We have a dedicated uh, help desk, which, you know, we're always helping people every day on.
1: And as well as the, you know, the using technology in education and employment. Talk to us about all the amazing developments in technology in the last few years that we can now use in our in our houses. Like there's so many different things, which is unbelievable, like the Alexa. Talk to us about all those different devices.
0: Yeah, like we were saying like our, our own NCBI Smart Hub will be available on, on Alexa because uh, we were saying you know most people probably have an Alexa in their homes and probably like seven or eight years ago people were saying I'd have no use for an Alexa I wouldn't need one in my house and now everyone who said that is using that for alarms reminders we have a large we found a lot of older people find it very useful and even I find it very useful to say you know Remind yeah, me to take my yeah, wheelie yeah, bin out yeah, every yeah. Tuesday night. <laughs> Turn and, on like, my heating. Or remind me about those yeah. doctors. Yeah, room. yeah. yeah. <laughs> Turn on my heating, yeah. And like the, the the internet uh, has sort of you know become part of everything. Like there's people with ovens connected to the internet, their phones connected to Wi-Fi, their, their, their cookers. Like there's some of, some of our our team who who work with us who are visually impaired have. Uh, washing machine, and like like Joe would have no sight, so the dials on a washing machine notoriously hard to to navigate. You know, you, you might use bump on stickers, etc. He sticks whatever he needs a stick in the washing machine, that gets out That's the app I mean, turns So you can attach your Alexa
1: to your washing machine, now. yeah.
0: Or the app, wow. Yes, so, uh, currently he has it on his phone, but yeah, you can if there's an, if there's an Alexa uh, link up, you can do that. Like I said, people have their heating connected to their either their smartphones or an Alexa, so people could be on the bus on the way home from town and go, I want to stick on the heating now and and do that. As well as like, as as Karen was loading earlier on, like what technology is so incorporated into everything. Like your television, there's a nine out of 10 chance that your television at home already has a screen reader built into it. You just need to go to the accessibility settings and turn that on
1: probably about 15 years old so it was i think it was it's from austria it's just looks like a very small remote control and you hold it up to your clothes or your the color you want to know what it is and then um, it generally tells you what it is it's 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 i would imagine that you could get a much better up, up uh version of it but it does really help and
0: uh well you can get you can get a free version of it tina if you have a smartphone and you and you use uh, Microsoft Seeing AI?
1: Oh yeah, I have that. Yeah, the the other thing I I if you could talk to the talk to us about because this is a really helpful thing that I find that I use quite a lot is, are the sat-navs. like Lazarello, or I find that really helpful when I'm on a bus or some somewhere you know. So could you talk to us about them?
0: Yeah, so like obviously like you're you're mentioning Lazarello and people might use. Blind Square and obviously the latest addition to it is uh, Microsoft Soundscape and uh Chantel Smith and NCBI has done a lot of work with Microsoft kind of refining that down to make sure that, that you know is is the best that, that app can be currently. So these are navigational apps where you will set a location uh, and then it will give you directions on how to get there. But I find the thing about Lazzarillo and some of them that are very good is it's the points of interest along the way. Well, traditionally, like you might have gotten tra- directions from a certain app, and it's going to give you the correct, you know, way to go, but it's not going to let you know that you're passing an ATM or there's a a new sandwich shop here, or you know, there's um a Tesco that opens from seven to ten or whatever the case may be. I think the likes of Lazarelo that announces that is fantastic.
1: The way I find that, um, the way I would use lazarillo quite a lot is. Sometimes technology is wonderful, but sometimes humans are not always as, say, remember as much as they should. And when you get on a bus, like the buses are brilliant, Dublin Bus and the bus drivers, I have to say, are so aware and so much, you know, I think they have a fantastic accessibility team in Dublin Bus. But on occasions, the bus driver forgets to turn the uh, voice speech um, announcements of stops on and sometimes i say it and then sometimes i don't because the bus is full or whatever so what i what i would do is i put on the lazarello for the bus stops and it's brilliant because like you say it gives you all the other information around the area that you wouldn't have known like the points points of interest and it's i find that really helpful so sometimes when you can't say access what you should be able to access because they forget to turn the voice over on on the bus or wherever, you can turn your 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 app on on your iPhone, which is the best thing ever. I think the the developments in technology in voiceover technology, and you can then you know where you are, and it's it's brilliant, you know.
0: Absolutely, like what's what soundscape using beacon technology, um, if you have a pair of um headphones with audio pass through on them, or if you're using sort of um, yeah. You can you it's you place a beacon on the map, so you put in your address, and if the beacon is directly in front of you, you'll hear that coming in front of you. And if you turn to one way, you'll only hear it in this ear. If you if you turn the other way, you might just hear it in your left ear. So you've always got orientation of where you're going. So it's still giving you directions, like you know, go up to this crosswalk, take a right, you know, walk for so many amount of uh, meters, and then you you're at another obstacle. But all the while, you'll hear the audio beacon so you know in relation to your location where you are. So it's it's a very, very useful device, and we do recommend that people give that a go also.
1: And that is something. It is really helpful, and, and it helps. It, it orientates you, and it, it can be an aid to trying to navigate or get around if you have a guide dog or you use a white cane. It also helps. You know? And that,
0: that That is the key thing of it. You know, these, these are augmentative tools—they're not something that you can't just have sight loss and download this app and out the door. You need good cane skills. You need uh, good dog skills. These are augmentative. what's already there.
1: And that's say the National Council for the Blind do the training. They do the mobility orientation training and all the other skills that you need to to navigate the world, such as you know households, uh, cooking skills, all the things you can learn, as well as the actual technology, but the technology changes are so fast and helpful I think in in the world of being blind compared to twenty odd years ago um it's it's amazing you know and like the other thing that I think is a brilliant development because I it it's especially on things like um Netflix especially if I don't have a smart television but I have audio description on my telly um and i have i can access my netflix by my chromecast um device and now what what it means is that you can now watch tv or movies or whatever it is you want to watch with the aid of audio description which is a huge enhancement and it's i know it's it's used and it's on more and more um say uh, terrestrial tv as well as um netflix and other um such uh facilities for people but that's can you talk to us about that what is audio description because it's it's um i think that's an amazing development or do you would you use that at all audio descriptions is not so
2: much um um it- do you know do you know what's funny i've recently got into uh uh, into cycling indoors and i find that the 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 cycling the trainer is kind of just so so loud that i do um i do tend to turn them on for that but that's probably probably a different reason altogether no i i find you know the the biggest the biggest one for me is around audiobooks that was the that was a huge change you know um you know particularly growing up and thinking that um you know, I never was a reader, so the likes of Audible and things like that have been a huge kind of game changer for me, absolutely. And even like Sean was saying around the Smart Hub project, it was, um, you know, it's really about, you know, some technologies are can kind of be kind of door opening or, or game changing. It's like, like, can I always describe the question where, or sorry, describe the situation where you can go from not using something or not thinking that you can use something And then it's available through technology and that's kind of the game changer. So it's like the ones with the the smart hub and voice technology, you know, just being able to say, you know, continue my book and my book plays, you know, Um, I I mean, that's, that's just huge. It's, you know, to to, to be able to, you know, like I I never read till I was in my, uh, in my thirties, you know, and now I consume a couple of books a week, you know? Um, So, I mean, that, that that to me is just game changing. And, And another one would be news, you know what I mean? Because. For a long time, like you know, newspapers were were the medium of of, of news, and now you can get all that all that digitally. Yeah, you
1: know? and that's true. Like I I I would have been a, a a huge reader all my life, and I think when I went blind first, that that was probably you know something that I was thinking, oh my god, I'll never be able to read again, or you know, as well as all the other things because I I love books, but I do use Audible. I love Audible. That's like my favorite thing, but as but it's it's because it's so good because the books are all right up to date they're read by trained actors well-known actors some of the authors and it's an amazing facility because loads of people use audible and that's the good thing about like you're saying you've been saying this from the start of the conversation Karen. that technology is for everyone now like audible is used by loads of people who just like putting the book on in their car or wherever you know do you know what my
2: favorite thing about Audible is? Because so my, my wife is a huge, uh, a huge reader. She reads paper books, you know, and, and Kindles and stuff. But we can do book club now, you know. So we'll pick a book at the same time. And up until, I think one of the, the incredible things about Audible is that almost every book that's released now, you know, of any level of popularity is on Audible. So, she you know, uh, every every few books will say, right, we'll we'll both start reading one at the same time. And I think that, to me, is inclusive tech. You know what I mean? It wasn't necessarily designed for that purpose, but yeah. And the thing um, is, you—it's it, uh,
1: another way of you being able to join in. Like, you know, we're not—we're no longer kind of, you know, only only use Braille or whatever. We all can. You know, you can go, you can join in, you can talk about the book as well as everyone else. I I do think there
2: was an interesting. I was just thinking about your question on you know audio description. I heard I heard a lovely story from. From a service user he's actually um he's a relation of mine and um he he had sudden sight loss in in his 50s you know and he was saying uh you know there were, we were because the answer we were teaching him like touch typing we we're teaching him voiceover and things like that and we we're saying to him like, what what do you really miss you know what what he goes i really would miss watching tv with my mom you know i watched you know of a saturday evening we put on a movie and then i said well have you heard of audio descriptions? And the, you know, because obviously it's a sudden thing, and he hadn't. So we got we got him an Apple TV, and he, he now can turn on the, you know the audio descriptions on and off with his voice. So you know that was such a such an important part of his life that he missed. You know, and then you see a a, a little feature like that. And we interviewed the um, the Apple VP of uh, well, not interviewed. Sorry, I just had a conversation with her. Um, kind of so used to podcasts these days and, <laughs> and video calls. I just had a conversation with her, the Apple VP and Accessibility, and she was saying like they in, in in Apple now they won't release anything on Apple TV without like up to forty languages of audio descriptions. Like wow, like that, you know they're they're really putting putting the effort in, you know. But uh, and it's it's um and then even like from 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 the non visual spectrum, I noticed even even my father in law recently, who's you know only in his mid sixties, is now starting to turn on, he says, ah, oh, the TV's too far away, I can't hear it, you know, so he'll use like, you know, uh, subtitles, yeah <laughs> you know, so, so it's it's just, it's naturally inclusive and I think that to me, you know, we, we talked a lot about the shift in, in, in you know, how technology has evolved and I think more and more tech is just inclusive, you know, sorry, sorry, go I was you. just
1: going to say, this is a bit trivial, but it's true, right, Um, any of the soaps, like, especially say uh, Coronation Street or something like that, you know Like, at the end of it, there would always be silence, right? And that was when something happened. So, you never knew what happened, so I'd spend my time ringing up my sister, and she'd go, yeah, yeah, okay, what do you want to know? Yeah, Deirdre did whatever, you know? But I remember when I got audio description first, right, it was just brilliant, it was Deirdre Barlow, I don't know if you watched Coronation Street, Sean and Kyron, but anyway, Deirdre was one of the main characters, right? (laughs) And, uh, She's She always was smoking, right? So the la- the first audio description episode I had on my telly was, uh, Deirdre lights up a cigarette in the back garden, looking pensively at Ken, or something like that, right? But basically, you could follow your soaps at last without having to ring your uh, sister or whoever. You know, what happened? What happened? Because you never know what happens, because it's always, you know, the cliffhanger or whatever, the clinch and it's silent. So
2: you know what you you even see it now in um because for for me with, with low vision I very rarely went to the cinema, you know? Um because obviously you can't you can't sit there with a speaker no, with no descriptions and on it. There's <laughs> a lot of cinema, yeah, really. there's a lot of images
1: and silence. <laughs> well there are and, yeah, apps, yeah. There
2: are apps. Yeah, so that's what I was just saying, that there 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 are more and more cinemas now are releasing like apps that you can download and it will sync the audio descriptions and you can put your your headphones in. Uh, even when I went to see Dune recently, which is awful, um, three hours of boredom, um, you can actually put the audio descriptions on. So you can you can put your, your AirPods in or whatever and listen to it uh
0: during, during the movie, you know. So um The audio the audio audio descriptions for Dune is there's more sand now, more sand. <laughs> more sand <laughs> Image of sand. Yeah, the only <laughs> the only movies <laughs> yeah.
1: I used to go to, I know it's changed now with audio description, was I would have to go to something with a lot of dialogue. You know, because I couldn't. You, there'd be big silences when they were showing beautiful scenery. You know, for ages. And it's
2: uh, yeah, I used to hate it the odd time, like you you know when you'd be, even even now nowadays, I I tend not to watch. Oh. Well, sorry, Alexa, I just That's all right. um, <laughs> don't know why.
1: Because she must have <laughs> to your Um
2: yeah i was yeah <laughs> but i i f- i find even even now uh this uh foreign content is getting really popular on netflix you know um and if you watch and this is maybe this is just some advice for people with low vision, but if you watch netflix under the native tv app there it's very hard to increase the font size of the subtitles whereas if you if you switch to the apple tv and use the netflix on apple tv apple won't let them uh release software that doesn't allow you to increase the the subtitle size so with with my apple tv now i can i can start with because you'd hear stuff like what there's one there's one um sean i'll probably correct me this but it's money heist i think was one that was really popular it's a german one was a german yeah and yeah and uh you know, I because I, I don't know if you've ever heard the the overdubbed versions, but they're always awful. <laughs> yeah. So uh, being able to increase the the font to a really big size now, when I say really big, it's almost taking over the screen, which obviously uh it, it means I just watch it on my own. But uh, that's a very it's, good it's tip, really though, isn't it? That, kind of that's
1: features. the kind yeah. of information that's really helpful. The Apple technology, it's it really has advanced so many things, hasn't it? With the the equipment, and... yeah, and it's.
2: It's useful because, like, we we have a smart TV at home, so my wife will just watch, you know, the normal Netflix app and stuff. But I can just switch to the Apple TV then if I'm watching things on my own. And then if we're both watching things together, we'll probably just turn on the audio descriptions. Do you know what I mean? So because they're not, yeah, they're not overly intrusive then, yeah. So there's there's always a there's always a way. I think just a just a. It sounds like a sales pitch, but we don't charge for it. But like. NC, NC, yeah, NCBI are always available to 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 help people with suggestions like that, you know, because I think one of the things that I noted when when because I was a service user of, of NCBI growing up, you know, and um you know tech there wasn't really a lot of technology solutions when I was growing up, you know, uh, but now there is. So always, you know, if there's anyone listening to us today, or anyone in, in education, or their family or friends, or people listening to this, if there's something that you think there mightn't be a solution to, there's probably is. You know, so do do call NCBI, and we have a free phone number, and you know the support is free. You don't have to be the person with sight loss. You like, you could be a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, an aunt, an uncle, or just a friend, and you say, "Listen," or even what what we found even now, at the moment, people are ring us up and say, well, "I want to buy a present for someone," you know, for Christmas, you know what I mean, or or for the holidays, or for yeah, the birthday. Yeah, I'd like a we'll new iPhone recommend... if anyone's listening. Yeah, yeah, true. Sure, yeah, iPhone an 12. Or, yeah, see, iPhone 12. Be lovely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> No, but we we, we um uh, and actually the, the the situation that I was talking to with, with, my, with my relation that was they rang me and said uh, you know what what's a good present like, get him an Apple TV he'll love wow. it Oh you know? well, that's
1: very generous so, wow
2: that'd be a lovely yeah. present well I didn't pay for it <laughs> personally
1: I I would say that I have Alexa as well and um now I I use it for my timing and whatever you know and I the radio and everything but I love it and I love shouting at Alexa as well. Because <laughs> she's very polite. <laughs> so, since the show is called the blind spot, what is your blind spot? And I'll ask Sean first.
0: I can't remember dates. <laughs> I can't. If someone says this is my birthday or this is my date, I will. If I don't have a digital reminder or a diary,
1: <laughs> if you don't I, have Alexa, I
0: have. I have forgot. I have forgotten my own birthday really? numerous times. Ah, Sean.
1: That's- <laughs>
0: not that i can't recall so it, you just have the a, you have actually. a blind
1: spot about dates Very good. Yeah.
0: Wow. I've, i can hold all sorts of useless information which Kyron can attest to but if i'm asked a date something happened no hope wow
1: there you go okay Um Kyron?
2: i that this is not my answer but i agree with sean like i can never remember dates either or faces or names so i'm just terrible but my, my blind spot is is the one thing I haven't been able to overcome yet with, with sight loss is being able to drive. Okay. <laughs> so Fair. I have well, told my wife, right? Yeah. I've told my wife that as soon as Tesla runs a legal self driving car, I don't care how much it costs. We have to, even if we have to remortgage the house, I am buying that car. Because for me, the one thing I haven't been able to do yet is, my, is, uh, is, drive. is drive. And that's, that's, yeah. Wow. So that's, okay. that's the big one. That'd for me. be interesting. My, yeah. Five Okay. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> F- five to ten years away, I will be behind the wheel. Of a Tesla. Maybe it won't have a wheel. They're lovely know, cars, but, uh, I have to say.
1: They're lovely cars. <laughs> I've never been in one. I ha- my cousin one. has one. It's a lovely car. Oh, yeah? Yeah. yeah. It's very hard to yeah. get into, yeah. mind you. It's very low off the ground. But, lovely car.
2: If if I can drive it as, yeah. as someone that's... Uh, I'd be technically in the legally blind category. So, as a I'd blind I'd person. be getting out of your way. <laughs>
1: but the funny thing is, this is true, right? And I always say this, is that when I could see... I learned how to drive, but I was atrocious. Right? I failed my test three times. I was absolutely brutal. I used to cut all the hedges for people, basically. So I always said to people, <laughs> "I did people a service by being taken off the road." You know? Yeah. yeah so pretty. there,
2: <laughs> it's true. One day, Tina. Yeah. One day, I'll be, I, uh, te- well, I'll be in Tesla my Tesla. I wouldn't us. mind
1: a Tesla now. In fairness. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Okay, so thanks very much. Um, really appreciate that. And thanks, Sean, as ever. Sean is brilliant. He, he's the most patient person. He never says no to him. I'm not telling you the answer, which is great. And thank you, Karen. It was lovely to meet you. And, um, nice to meet you. Well too. done on all the work. Yeah. You. Thanks for listening to The Blind Spot. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Until next time on The Blind Spot.
0: The Blindspot podcast was funded under the University for All Faculty Partner Program and developed with the support of the UCD College of Business and UCD Access and Lifelong Learning.